say can be done. Beetle Boys. I'm Mark. Bog Beef. Fredo. We're joined today with Gordy Locke. I think we'll have you introduce yourself uh, more at length after uh, one or two questions. All right. Uh, hey, um, my name's Gord. Uh, thank you very much for having me. This is like one of my favorite podcasts, and it's uh, truly an honor to be here. Thank you. And uh, and for the relevant thing here for us is uh, this is URA, in fact, a Canadian long-haul trucker who has... A- attended the protest yes uh partially correct i am canadian i was a long-haul trucker now i'm a short-haul trucker um and i did in fact go back to ottawa and express solidarity with my fellow road warriors and welcomed the convoy from western canada into the city and then spent the better part of a day and a night partying with everybody down there <laughs> excellent okay so uh uh all right guys you still got it never lost it Let's go. Okay, so uh, not everybody may know about the Freedom Convoy, so I'm going to give a little background here just a little bit. And um, So this is the Freedom Convoy 2022. This is a story. Maybe you've seen it. So this is ongoing protest. This is uh, truck drivers. I believe it started, uh, I don't know, about a week ago, starting from uh, Vancouver, I believe. Well, the, the Freedom Convoy was originally envisioned by these two cats in Alberta, and they started organizing it only a couple of weeks ago. And um, they released a GoFundMe and started uh, talking to other uh, drivers and farmers and folks around their neck of the woods. And it sort of snowballed from there. Alberta is the south of Canada, right? Alberta is where most of the chuds are. Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, the uh, So, all right. And so this starts, uh, officially starts January 22nd. And they and there was a convoy that that converged in in Ottawa with a rally up Parliament Hill. Which, by the way, you have a can't you guys have a very beautiful Parliament building? That's um, yeah, and it's called Parliament Hill because it sort of sits on a hill and it overlooks the Ottawa River, which at that part of the province forms the natural barrier with the province of Quebec. So it sort of has a very commanding view of the neighborhood. And it's, uh, yeah, it is a very pretty building. It's under renovations now. I don't know if you guys noticed in yeah. photos, um, there's some kind of extended renovation project and there's a sky tower crane at either end of parliament. And they've got this huge two-story barrier all the way around the front of parliament. So if you're looking at it from where the protest took place, you might think to yourself, wow, they really did go full January 6th. But it had nothing to do with security and everything to do with an ongoing renovation project. Yes, and uh, oh man, that, that, that must suck. Be out there uh, uh, up on that roof uh, this time of year in Canada. But <laughs> but uh, all right. So uh, there's I, I don't know exactly. There's at least a thousand trucks. There's a lot of trucks. Um, no one's uh, uh, and yeah, you see. know that's that's kind of funny. By the way, they uh, the organizer said like. We could have we could have like thirty thousand trucks, and I, I guess it wasn't thirty thousand trucks, but like that they went to great lengths on the news to debunk that. They're like, oh yeah, at most it's just a couple thousand big, big right. rigs heading into the capital of your country. Right, and, and I don't. And there's 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 there is, that gets more complicated, right? Because uh, I think the basic. Well, we'll we'll, we'll get to that. So let me get the, the some basic stuff out here first. So th- there's a truck protest. 
the primary thing that's being protested is, it, and there's there's other there are other sort of uh, things on their mind, but I believe the primary thing is this: there's a, a statute that doesn't let you return to Canada after crossing the United States border if you are unvaccinated. Yes. That's correct. Um, I mean, they have to let you in. If you're a Canadian citizen, the government has to let you into Canada, same if you're American coming south. But what they're doing is they're enforcing these quarantine rules to make it such that you, it, it's like, it, it's punishment, right? So let's say, let's say you're a local guy in Ontario and you run daily down into Michigan, you might do five trips to Michigan a week because it's right there. You know, you leave Toronto, it's four hours to Detroit or wherever you're going. You might do five trips a week. Well, if you're unvaccinated, you do one trip. And now the government says, nope, you have to go into quarantine for two weeks now because you mm. went to Detroit for two hours. Right. Mm. And like that's money it, out your pocket. That's money out of your pocket. And there, there's also fines involved. And the, and the problem here is, is that everyone's been going back and forth over the border during this entire pandemic with no problems. And there's been no studies done anywhere. There's no data indicating that truck drivers carry the virus around or spread it any more than anybody else. They just pulled this stuff out of their ass out of nowhere to say, okay, well, we're going to put in more of these COVID measures. And it's got nothing to do with science. It's got nothing to do with statistics. It's literally just punishment. And that's why people are up in arms about it. And especially, I mean, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys spend most of your day by yourself, correct? Like in your car. Correct. Like if you're a long haul truck driver, you know, you, you might, let's say if you're going on a long trip, it's two, three days to your destination. Maybe you're going all the way to the West Coast. You know, yeah, you might get out and get fuel. You might go in the truck stop, get some, get some breakfast or whatnot. But for the most part, you spend all day by yourself um, spreading COVID to the stuffed animals in your bunk, maybe. I, I don't know. And. Let's see. Uh, now, and so th that's that's the that's the protest. Now, the, so the ba the response we've had so far is that, um, and this is I'm I'm this is uh, I, I can get get the exact source, but uh, Justin Trudeau, the president, so he made what he made a statement beforehand that said that uh, this was basically this was uh, uh, so in some way, and we, we'll get into exact, but in some way this was uh, morally wrong to do because of. Uh, this has the potential to uh, to create a snowball effect with the, with the with the supply chain crisis, right? So they're they're the these these workers they have all this leverage, and they're using it to um, to make demands, and so that that may be wrong. And later on, I've I've said that Trudeau and his family I will have were evacuated from their home amid the protests. That is from the CSAT Daily. Uh, so he has been evacuated from his home. So that that's the background. Merrick? Yeah, my my first question, Gord, wait, we've known you for quite a while. You're one of our, our best pals on Twitter, uh, stand-up guy, just like a, a working-class chud like the rest of us. Like, you don't seem like the protesting type. Like, why did, why did you decide to get involved in this? Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't I, – I would – I would hesitate to call it like involvement. Like I don't know the people who organize this. I mean, I've donated money to them. I follow them online. I pay attention to what they're saying. Um, but like you went there, that's sure hills. Is yeah, it is. I guess. But I mean, it, that was the least I could do, right? Like I've been a trucker my entire life. I'm from Canada, and you know what Trudeau is doing is throwing people out of work for 
you know, making their own personal health decisions and not submitting to his dictate. And it's just wrong. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. What he's doing is wrong. He's hitting my tribe. He's hitting my people. And it was the least I could do to go to Ottawa and express my support and solidarity for these guys. Do you, do you have any sense, this might be an unfair question, so I apologize, but, you know, being that obviously you were there, you at least know some people that were involved in this, if not the organizers, like, do you have any sense of like what a best case outcome within the realistic sort of realm of outcomes of this would be in terms of like, would it be dropping the mandate? Would it be, I mean, do you think it's in the realm of possibility that like Trudeau would have to step down? Like, do you have any sort of sense? Oh, there's there's a lot of wild rumors flying around almost daily about Trudeau's continued position as prime minister. I can't really comment on that. I mean, you know, you, you hear scuttlebutt from various political operators, but I don't know how much of any of it's true. As far as the aims of the protest, I mean, they want they've been very clear that it's not just about the the vaccine mandate for the drivers. They've been very clear that it's all the mandates, all the lockdowns, all the masks, all the, the, the stuff that's happening in Quebec, the stuff that's happening at a provincial level. They want all of it done, gone. They want Canadian society returned to normal in toto. So it's not just about us. Now, whether or not they'll be able to achieve all of that through this protest um, remains to be seen. Obviously, there's some powers that the provinces have. Uh, versus the feds, much like the difference between feds and states here in the U.S. Um, but the dominoes are already starting to fall. Uh, the province of Saskatchewan is dropping all of their mandates at the end of February. No vaccine passes, no masks, no distancing, no nothing. Like their Saskatchewan's going full tilt boogie back to normal. Uh, it is expected that Alberta will follow suit very, very quickly behind them. Um, there was an article in the National Post that came out yesterday saying that um, provincial health ministers are all beginning talks and discussions all across the board about the best way to wind all of this stuff down. And of course, the National Post had to say, you know, dot, dot, dot. It's not because of the truckers, right? Like they're, the, the media has been doing nothing but trying to, <laughs> to dismiss us since the beginning. But yeah, I, I think... I think some some things are beginning to happen, whether we get everything, whether we get full repeal of this border uh, mandate remains to be seen. Uh, another issue that's beyond the scope of the Canadian government is that the Biden administration has done something similar where they're requiring commercial drivers to come into the U.S. to also be vaccinated. Now, I don't know how that looks. Like in Canada, they're enforcing it by saying, well, you must quarantine or you're going to pay fines if you don't comply. I don't know what it looks like coming into the U.S. I have traveled in my own vehicle back and forth into the United States twice in the last month, once for Christmas, once for this protest. Both times when I was driving into the United States, U.S. Customs did not ask me a single question about my vaccine status, COVID, none of that. I got the usual. What's your citizenship? Where do you live? Do you have anything to declare? That's it. They did not ask a single question related to COVID. The uh, I think another aspect that's going on here, so we've seen Trudeau's reaction, which is uh, you know, the double-down stuff. Now, another part of this, though, is... Uh, the conservatives and 
uh, I, I think there's interesting stuff here. So, like the initial the initial response from the conservatives was kind of like initial response to uh, Donald Trump's uh, MAGA stuff. Uh, uh, you know, hey, stop! Don't talk about immigration. Uh, you know, all the, the Lindsey Grahams and stuff. And then eventually these guys figured out that um, if, that's not like they're going to have to change their tune to, to stay in office. And so what we've seen, so Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the opposition party, uh, initially he said this protest was wrong. Don't do this. Uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. Basically backing. Uh, and this is the leader of the conservative party in Canada. And later on, you, it, 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 what, what did you see after that? So you started to see all the, Young guns, the people that are that are hungry for high office in Canada. Not, I don't know not all, but Andrew Shear, Candace Bergen. There's a couple of names. Uh, said we're conservative MPs and we support this. So this is usually people. Young, you know, these are politicians, right? So I don't think this is uh, in general. When you see a lot of this, you're going to see politicians saying maybe maybe people really feel this way about this. Maybe I could maybe I, I should take up this cause and and it'll do something for me. And now we've seen O'Toole. Uh, double back and say, oh, "Well, Trudeau needs to meet with him." This, that's that to me. That's good. That, yeah, that's very good. It is good, and uh, some of this is a function of the recent election. So, you guys, uh, a few months ago, last year, uh, Trudeau called an election, which changed nothing. I think only a few seats changed hands. It literally did nothing. It cost the Canadian taxpayer six hundred million dollars. It returned him right to where he was before with minority parliament status. And, you know, um, I think the conservatives have had to do some self-reflection because the reason they didn't go anywhere is because they didn't offer any opposition to any of the COVID mania or any of Trudeau's policies. So a lot of people just didn't bother voting for them in the numbers to give them power. You know, some people blame Bernier and the PPC for peeling off numbers. And I mean, they peeled off a little bit, but Bernier was the only guy saying, I'm going to end this. Um, unfortunately, Bernier is in the position of being like a very small party that only started recently. He's also been demonized in the media as a Nazi and all the rest of this garbage because, you know, for, for the crime of suggesting that the federal government restrict immigration to the levels that were seen in 2015 before Trudeau took office. So I, I guess if that means death camps, hey, you know, I'd <laughs> But yeah, the, the conservatives are playing catch up. And I think a few of them understand why they lost and why the balance of power didn't shift at all in the last election, because they didn't do anything about COVID and they didn't do anything to stand up to Trudeau. And uh, <clears throat> to your earlier point, the, is my guess correct that the premier of Saskatchewan is a conservative? Uh, he's a representative of the Saskatchewan party, which oh, I think okay. is sort we of- We love that. We love that. Yeah, yeah, they yeah they take on the name of where they're from. They look out for their own. You know, I I I would imagine they're sort of center right. Um, I have a few friends um, in real life. Uh, ice road trucker guy I used to work with named Trent. Shout out to Trent. He's a Saskatchewan party guy. Uh, federally, he's for the Conservatives. And um, there's a Twitter poster named Laser who's a Saskatchewan party guy. And um, yeah, no, they're just you know, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say they're populists, but they're definitely like, you know, let's let's look after Saskatchewan and look after our own interests. I mean, that's the key to getting through this, I suppose, is that you need both both political parties. Everybody needs to go on the record where they stand on this. Uh, you, they, when they put 
Trudeau's feet to the fire, in the end, he had to justify publicly why he wasn't going to go meet this you know, massive group of protesters in the Capitol who were, you know, angry enough to go to, you know, to, to try to blockade off what, like the Alberta uh, border crossing with the United States and, and the convoy itself. And he said, you know, hey, uh, these guys are evil Nazis and I'm not going to do it. You know, I, I just, it's not the same. It's, even though he, if I recall correctly, he, he did meet with like BLM, right? Yeah, he, he in fact, <clears throat> so during that little video that he recorded, he actually hyped up the fact that he met uh, with BLM to contrast it with the truckers. He actually said something along the lines of, uh, you know, I meet with, you know, protests that I consider like valid and supportable, like Black Lives Matter. That was his primary example. Yeah, but, I, 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 I quoted yeah. that uh, Trudeau quote in this article I wrote for Newsweek today. And I mean, you know. What a! I I don't even know what to say about Trudeau anymore. A couple of days ago, a friend of your show and great Twitter poster, Monsieur LeBaron, he had he had a banger tweet saying, you know, like what king runs away from his castle like this? Like what what leadership is going on here? And the, these guys have been sniffing their own jinkum for too long. You know, <laughs> Trudeau truly believes what his circle of people tell him and what the media is saying. And he literally memed himself into believing that this was going to be January 6th North and nothing of the sort took place. I mean, the Ottawa police have been very public saying there's been no arrests and no incidents and nothing has happened. And the truckers are very cooperative. And, you know, we've had to tow a few people's vehicles here and there, like small pickups and cars that were parked illegally. But there's literally nothing has happened. And Trudeau just keeps going on Twitter calling everybody a racist and an Islamophobe and homophobe and transphobe and every phobe under the sun. And there's literally zero evidence of this. And I mean, I don't know how deranged of a partisan you have to be to just believe this stuff. Like we're talking 1984 levels of 10 minutes, hate ministry of truth, bullshit going on here. You know what I'm saying? That's what I wanted to get at. I, I, I it, to me, it feels like, and this is not just Canada or United States, but it seems like this is happening in, in some countries in Europe too. They've just kind of come to the come to terms with the fact that they're not going to convince people anymore. Like they're, they're, so, you just you make this message for your base, which is what he's doing, and then you have the media blare it. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, perhaps it's like to the independent or whatever, this is compelling. Like you, you believe this? I, I, I can't. I can't imagine anybody seeing this and like actually thinking it was true but uh, but this point doesn't matter they're they're li- he's preaching to the choir and i think they've just decided they don't need to worry about our opinions anymore well let's let's contrast so so he contrasted this protest with the black lives matter which by the way i i don't know how many uh i don't know how many, how many uh brothers there are in canada <laughs> I, I, I don't assume that there's as many as, as America, but let, well, I, I wouldn't know percentage wise, but Canada is a very high immigration country and there's plenty of, you know, there's a large Haitian community in Montreal. There's plenty of uh, Sikhs from the Punjab in India. There's people from Ethiopia, Eritrea, like that, that, that's true. Africa, I, I like it. I looked it up. It's two percent, but it, yeah, it's just making a, a, a joke. But yeah. so, but let, let's let's contrast. So you know, he contrasted that with that. So let's contrast. And so you know, immediately 
immediately we saw a cartoonist come out and say they just they did a cartoon where they just drew trucks and they put fascists over drawing over the truck like that is the most just you know just 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 call you know just call people names that was it but okay and so they're saying well you know these truckers want this and this is tantamount to fascism the third reich uh, all this stuff. Well, let's let's contrast uh, these what they want with another uh, a place that I don't think people uh, think of it is is um oh there's a very funny uh, comic on <laughs> the screen that, that that CRK meme there is awesome <laughs> yeah, that was that was next level yeah no and you know the funny part is the top one the literal Nazi is like a logging truck and like. Right, right down the street from Parliament, this guy brought a quad axle logging trailer that had a huge sign on it that says "We are for freedom," and there was people dancing on the logs on top of the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're if you're listening, there's a uh, there's a meme, and it says it's got uh, a long, it's got a big truck, medium truck, small truck, and you know the small truck moderate, school bus conservative, larger truck far right, and then you know the uh, log truck says literal Nazi. But uh, so so let's let's go let's contrast Canada, uh, you know, with these demands made uh, to a place that I don't think people feel like is is uh, is you know far right. It's not run by Putin or something like that. Uh, so Norway ended COVID restrictions today. I, I don't I don't think there's pandemonium on the streets. Uh, everybody seems to be doing fine in in Norway. I, I don't know what there's some uh, Norway actually seems quite similar to Canada at least. Well, here's the thing about that cartoon about the trucks loaded with fascism. So if it's fascism to want to end all these mandates and lockdowns and vaccine requirements and return society to normal, I mean, I guess they're calling Boris Johnson a fascist. I guess they're calling the leadership of Ireland fascist. I guess they're calling the leadership of Denmark fascist. Sweden. I I guess Sweden, all these countries that like either didn't do anything or are rolling back what they did do. I guess just everybody's a fascist now. And I mean, even before COVID, the the usage of that term has been so overblown that it doesn't mean anything anymore. And I mean, they're just they're they're flogging it. They're 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 trying to ride off the hits, right? Like this new this new track's not working, so let's play this one that was top forty a few years ago. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, let's see. Denmark, Britain, Ireland, Netherlands have removed restrictions in the recent weeks. <clears throat> I guess we'll see if the, uh, you know, like, you know, when we had this in Florida. We were told, uh, I don't know if anybody remembers this. Uh, we were told there was there were going to be mass graves down in the, uh, the Everglades. Yeah, I remember well, that. I remember Mil- that. Yeah. Millions of bodies stacked up. Uh, when, it, when 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 Florida had very light bat flu restrictions, their like their only move was to say like, "Well, uh, your 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 crazy governor's going to kill everybody." And when it didn't happen, they said, "Well, he they really are dying, but he's he's hiding and lying about it." And then they finally went to looking at seasonal like flu patterns and saying, "Oh, there's a, there's a big you know, there's a big." Uh, pan, uh, mass pandemic in Florida now. Like it was just following the typical flu season, and like th- th- over time, they've like their excuses have dwindled down to nothing. I mean, that, they still make that argument. Uh, I still see plenty of blue checks that say, "Well, like when you look back at everything we've done over the past two years, you can't say that it wasn't all worth it because everybody knows Florida just hides their numbers or whatever." As if. You know, Ron DeSantis has some squad <laughs> cleaning up bodies, or I don't know how you would hide bodies in Florida. Yeah, but 
People, people say that, I mean, so look, uh, I'm not the biggest China fan in the world. People say that, like, basically everything about China's economy is made up. Well, it's not. I mean, so I saw someone showed a picture of, like, uh, you know, downtown uh, Beijing or something, and it showed, like, a difference of 30 years. Something's happening. And the yeah, same thing, if there's, if there's a state, and, and that's just, like, uh, you can just observe that something's happening, like, from, like, a satellite imagery. Well, uh, there are liberal people living in the Everglades, in the, in the Miami, in Tallahassee. People would know if there's bodies stacked up. This whole thing is just so, I don't want to get fired. Uh, <laughs> this comment by Trudeau, kind of, it, 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 it's similar to stuff they've, they did. Oh, my God. Well, well, you, someone's got to read it. I, I, I will, but this, listen to this. Okay, here's, what, here's Trudeau's quote. He's got a tweet pulled up here by Justin Trudeau. I want to be very clear, very Obama-esque. We're not intimidated by those who hurl abuse at small business workers and steal food from the homeless. We won't give in <laughs> to those who engage, give in to those who fly racist flags, and we won't cave to those who engage in vandalism or dishonor the memory of our veterans. Now, what's different about this than the, than the playbook, or the, uh, you know, the January sixth playbook, or you know, anytime people who aren't uh, NGO babies have a, a mass protest, they just like like. The Nazis and racists, which they did that here, but like the other, the 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 thing that's kind of new is where he's like saying, "Hey, we're not going to let you guys uh, just destroy the kulaks and steal from the homeless and you know and dishonor the veterans." Like nobody on the planet thinks that they're actually there to do that. Like he, 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 you've seen somebody do this. You've seen somebody do this socially, like on a personal level, where it's like, "Hey, you know." I'm just the kind of guy. I don't like it when people are mean to other people. You know, well, like, no, this wait, this so, is like a liberal. Like, uh, so the Republicans have a version of this where they say the Democrats are actually the real racists. We're the actual <laughs> racists. Yes. Yes. This is a liberal guy saying, "Oh, you're going to push around the kulaks. You're going you're going to to step on the brave uh, veterans of the, of the past." About uh, by, by the way, how many homeless people is like? It's like negative four in Ottawa. Is there a lot of just people just hanging out on the sidewalk? I I don't know. I don't. I'm not from Ottawa. I mean, I've visited there lots, and I have friends there. But yeah, it's very cold. This whole homeless thing. They they literally have no evidence for this. All of their all that they're citing is that this one, you know, quote unquote shelter that's actually a division of an NGO that pulls a lot of money from the feds in the city of Ottawa, whose manager has got like 125k a year salary. You know, they said that, you know, like there's people coming in here demanding food and they don't have their masks on and they're being rowdy. Well, were they part of the trucker convoy? Uh, maybe not. Probably not. Because the thing is, is most of the people that were there on Saturday and Saturday night were actually just regular old Quebecois people that are pissed because like Quebec's had the most draconian measures, right? Like there's a curfew in Quebec. There's, uh, you know, if you go to a grocery store, they have to send some minder around with you so that you only get the essential items that you need and you're not allowed in restaurants. They've like <laughs> built a full on apartheid society. So the people in Canada right now who are the most pissed off are the French. And the a, a lot of the signs at the protest were in French. We saw a lot of uh, uh, the old Patriot flag, like you're talking about that one Confederate flag. There was like dozens and dozens of these this old flag from like the 1830s that represents these guys who like didn't want to be ruled by the British. You know, there's this like an old French nationalist symbol. And 
you know, the the French are just have absolutely had enough of what's going on with Legault, with the Premier Legault, and the truckers' convoy has been a way for them to like express that frustration, and they glommed right onto it. You know, like most of the people, like I said, I, I'm repeating myself here. Most of the people that were in Ottawa Saturday were not truckers. The vast majority were just regular people, and so it stands to reason that you have these huge crowds of people running through Ottawa and. You know, the pants shitters at this particular shelter just feel like any person that walks in there and might be rowdy and not wearing a mask is just automatically a trucker convoy. And it goes from being rowdy and not wearing to mask to, oh, they're harassing us and stealing food from the homeless with zero evidence. Zero. None. Nobody's exactly. Produced, nobody's produced any evidence of this whatsoever. They're just pulling it out of their ass. You don't even want to, as one of, so like somebody in my mention said today, even the uh, even Canadian false flag operations are a pale imitation of the American. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing about it not being one hundred percent, you know, the trucker thing is one of the strengths I think because uh, so you know, there's a lot of protests. People say protest does this, protest does that. Well, one thing that's unique about this is this thing has funding and it has like grassroots funding. They they got a lot of funding like quick uh, uh, you know like six million from and you can tell what this is. Oh, I there's think a, I, I think a lot we're of already up to ten million. Them. Let me let me just check here. Uh, let's have a look. As of right now, the GoFundMe for the Freedom Convoy stands at nine million eight hundred ninety six thousand two hundred and sixty dollars. The, yeah, I saw one of the organizers say that they have enough money now that they they could stay two to four years in in Ottawa on the street. Well, I mean, it, it, okay, so it, the, most of the trucks sitting there now, if they're if they're owned by a fella and it's his truck and he's sleeping in it, they're they're at high idle, right? So to keep the thing warm at least throughout the evening, if they don't, if he doesn't have an APU or something. But even if you're leaving a truck at high idle all day, it'll only burn twenty twenty five gallons a day, and if you've got three or 400 gallons of fuel in your tanks, you can sit tight for quite a while. This, this is, this is important, right? Because uh, you don't see this a ton. Like we see a lot of things protest, but money talks. And this kind of money really talks when it's, uh, you know, this isn't like some billionaire just peeled off the money. This is like, uh, this is hungry money. And well, the, it appears the only, fast. The, the only billionaires, there's a rumor going around. So did you guys see this thing where, um, someone donated the top donation was like thirty four or forty thousand dollars or something, and the and the person like uh, bought the rights to liar dot com, which redirected to Justin Trudeau's Wikipedia. Did you guys see that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Aren't people speculating that it's Elon Musk? Yeah, the rumor is that that's Elon Musk. So like you know, yes. In in total, most of the donations and GoFundMe. If you scan the donations, you can see every single one. Most of them are like a hundred bucks, fifty bucks, twenty bucks. Like this is, you know, nobody in their right minds could look at this and say, "Oh, we're funded by some NGO or some oil company or whatever." And and one of the things I said in that article in Newsweek today is the reason that the the media and the establishment are giving this movement um, such a hard time is nobody has any claim to it, right? Nobody can control it. It's not attached to any one political party. It's not attached to any labor unions. It's not attached to any particular sector of the media. It's not attached to, to any institutional labor organizations. It's not attached to anything. 
it is completely in 100% grassroots, which, which is why it makes it so easy for all these doorknobs to just keep attacking and smearing them because nobody's getting their cut. Nobody can take any credit. Nobody has any way to guide it because it's it, 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 other than a, the organizers of it who are trying to, you know, organize cats because truck drivers are stubborn and most of us, you know, think for ourselves and, and don't like being told what to do. You know, it's the definition of a spontaneously organized workers revolt, for lack of a better word. And like they're doing the work that all these online commie losers think they want to do. Right. Like nobody's pulled this <laughs> off. And then when it did get pulled off so that like this movement has lit the world on fire. So now we have this like international workers revolution that's going on. That's literally a hundred percent working class. And it was organized by the chuds. Literally the chuds pulled this off. Not the commies, not the socialists, not the DSA losers, not the NGO class, literal chuds pulled off this workers protest that's lit the world on fire and it's driving all of these people insane because it wasn't them yeah they're, yeah, they're well, we, we had a preview the, sorry, sorry I was, ahead, we had a preview for this too because so if you remember i don't know a few months ago in the states when they first started implementing vaccine mandates at employers we had a series of wildcat strikes and uh the you you had the the le- sort of, you know, online commies, as you said, had the same reaction. You know what I mean? It was sort of, they just said that it really had nothing to do with the workers and all this. But the way that got written off is they were able to just, the media like came up with this narrative that it just wasn't happening. Like they literally just said, oh, that's not a thing that's happening. That's all a conspiracy. Nobody's wildcat <laughs> striking over vaccine mandates. But What's so powerful about what's going on right now is there's no way to do that, right? Like, I mean, you guys were out in the street honking. I mean, it's not able to be ignored. Well, it's the comp- it's the composition of the people who are protesting that probably has them so up- upset and kind of worried. It's it, as as Gord said, like these are kulaks. They're not they're not the kind, the typical kind of person who goes to pro- they're not you know NGO babies they're not people who are getting the day off from their email job and being encouraged to go to do this you know they're not it's not it's not like that it's not like you know, it's i it's probably not lumpens there to you know set things on fire and turn over police cars like this is uh, these are kulaks who are angry about what's happening and that is legitimately dangerous if you're trying to uh, i guess here- keep go ahead uh, so a couple things. So number one, so what? What are these to, to address these online commie stuff? So one of the things they said was, well, this isn't this is the labor action because they're not in the union. Well, the thing is, like, guy, like we know what would happen if they were the union leadership would tell them to stop. Uh, this is twenty twenty one. Like we know what what the union leadership like now. So I'm not saying anything bad about anyone's particular union. We're just saying that's likely what would be happen, guys. Right? So we know that. All right. Number two. Um, uh, this makes me think of you were talking about how much this scares people. It really does. There was uh, two little anecdotes. There's, there's one anecdote from the global war on terror, where uh, uh, someone in the the American leadership was commenting on how to end the world war, war on the war on terror. He said the it's it, they said they were in a difficult they said they were a difficult position. What they really need is an is- Islamic pope because then they could they could like sign a, a deal with an Islamic pope. But otherwise, like, what, what are they even fighting? Who is there? How many people is there? this? These people could be tireless. They could go on forever like this. What do we, how do we, how do we stop this? Uh, the other one 
is uh well the point with 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 the is who had like okay when you do a real protest like this a real strike thing right so if you strike and you're like um it, it matters like do you have like is your labor like important so like and that doesn't mean like if you're good so like I I love um Eddie Van Halen uh let's say he's still alive if Eddie Van Halen quits playing the guitar well we still get food and and, and water and stuff right um. To have real power, you have to be really. You have to do hard work that other people don't want to do. And the like, uh, if you go back to the old labor stuff, the dream I've talked about before. The dream, uh, uh, what the FBI was so scared of happening in a workers' revolution was that the truckers would go on strike and they would shut down the United States, and this would cause a revolution. Because it, 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 nothing has changed. Because this is obvious. Because everything in your life. In some way or another, needs to go on a truck. This is just, and there's nothing really else like it. This is why they've let it slip a little bit. Where they said uh, they shouldn't have let it slip, and he, and he, Trudeau backed down. He was like, "Well, no, there's no problem with supply chain." But before, someone within the the, the liberal leadership said uh, they shouldn't be doing this because uh, they could shut down shipping. But yeah, yeah, that, that they're telling, they're they're asking you uh, uh, that, that's that. that you, you don't get what you ask for. You get what you negotiate. And this is called a negotiation, right? I would think so. And it's very telling that, like you say, Trudeau ran away. Um, I don't know if there's any, um, maybe there's some dealing going on between the organizers of the convoy and Trudeau's underlings that's like being held in secret or something. I, I'm not aware of that. Maybe it's happening. But, you know, the fact, the, the optics of the fact that Trudeau won't face this, it, it's just, it, I, 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 the, the man is not a leader. He's, we have this major protest action that like a lot of people are behind, or at least, you know, the people that don't have the CBC tell them what to think every morning. And you know, the business community prior to the convoy leaving for Ottawa like they're not stupid. They saw it coming and they already were feeling the effects of constrictions in the trucking capacity, right? So there's less trucks available. There was already a quote unquote driver shortage, which I have many other opinions on, but like, you know, in total, the world's supply chains are somewhat flummoxed and, you know, rates are up. It's hard to get trucks. And now this vaccine mandate is going to make it even more difficult and we've already seen rates increase for refrigerated freight to bring food back to Canada. We've seen shortages of certain items, um, mileage increases on other other products coming into Canada from the United States. So this is costing some suits like a lot of money. And I, I, I if, if if Trudeau doesn't respond to the Freedom Convoy and the demands of the truckers. He's going to at some point have to respond to the demands of the suits, the people with big money who are in charge of all the corporations that are moving everything and are having to pay way more for that and who probably don't want to. Right. Yeah. I have a, I have a just, this is just a, a little thing I've wondered. When was the last time you've had to unload your truck? I guess because maybe the, the business didn't have their people. Has that, has that happened to you? Um. When I was doing over the road stuff, uh, 
I don't know. I've, I, I don't, never really spent a whole lot of time in the freight market, but there's been a few places where I've had to hand bomb things out of the back of the truck. I mean, some of that standard industry practice. Um, uh, corollary to what you're saying or something that's related, I should say, is that there's, in addition to like, never mind the shortage, quote unquote, of truck drivers, there's a shortage of forklift operators because all these, well, part of the supply chain deal is that uh, trucks aren't being used to their maximum efficiency because they're sitting around everywhere wait, waiting to be loaded and unloaded. And I mean, this has got less to do with these protests, but like, you know, there's an industry-wide problem of trucks just wasting their time sitting at distribution centers and factories and whatnot. And if, if, is that an employee shortage or the companies just being cheap and don't want to pay for more employees? I, I, I'm not quite sure where that falls on either side of that, but yeah, um, this is a problem. Yeah, this this global this supply chain, if um, thing like people people talk about just like it's uh, X's and O's. Like, well, there's there's like an error in a compute, like a, a uh, like a computer code, but that's not what's going on. The thing is, there would be no shortage if uh, driving a, if driving a truck was uh, easy. If anybody could do it, if anybody would do it, you know, it, if uh, uh, there would be no shortage if if truckers were paid what they what they should be paid, uh, and that goes to all that goes also goes to those uh, to the forklift guys. I don't know if you ever seen. Um, there's one of the big. There's one of the uh, popular trucker uh, influencers, high strung vlogs. He's got a he's got a great video out where he shows what it's like. Where um, he, he's he's running a load to Walgreens, and um, you know he shows some of the other trucks. They're some kind of like company guys, or whatever. Where they just drop off the trailer and they go. But the owner operator guys, they need their trailer back. And frequently they don't have they're not unloading the truck in a reasonable amount of time. And you get into scuffles and stuff. Like uh oh, yeah. I need no, my damn trailer back. That, 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 that's an age-old problem. That's been around for a while. And yeah, there's some there's some of the big freight carriers, because they have so many trucks, so many trailers, and so many drivers, they do what's called drop and huck, where they have arrangements with their customers where they have like a pool of empty trailers. And they'll put loads on them, and then the truck just shows up, hooks onto the trailer, and takes off. And before he hooked onto it, he dropped an empty in the yard. So they have dropping hooks. But if you're if you're a Kulak independent owner operator with your own wagon, you can't do that. And yeah, now you're at the behest of whatever employees they may or may not have, and wherever they get to you. Yeah, we uh, the, we've seen that. Okay, and I, I want to ask you what you think about. So we've seen this thing in, in the United States where they said, "Well, we're going to fix the trucker shortage by letting uh, uh, teenagers drive trucks." Okay, <laughs> we've we've seen now. This is easy to understand because I think people more likely understand this in the uh, the coding thing, right? So we've we saw this attempt through like uh, they were going to pass some laws and like change some rules, and then suddenly there would just be a lot of people who were like willing to like uh, sit down at a computer for doing like hard concentration and math to like uh, write like hardcore code. Uh, and, and there would just be more people. There would be just be way more people to do that. But like, no, not really like doing that kind of coding. Like it's really hard. And there's probably, uh, you're probably just going to need to pay people a lot of money uh, to incentivize them to do it because it's just really hard, difficult stuff. So there's never going to, there's never going to be a day they say, Oh God, there's too many people out here that are, that are awesome COBOL programs. Right. It's just it's just hard ass work. 
And the same thing, especially driving a truck, especially driving a driving a truck in Canada. I mean, good, they, we they have a show out that it's like uh, it's, it's done like an extreme sport. People seen the ice truckers and stuff like oh, you, you know. You're, <laughs> you don't want me to talk about that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Right. But you know what I'm saying? Like this isn't the this isn't the easiest job in the world. No, it isn't. And what they're trying to do is they're they're easing up a restriction. So in the United States. You can get your CDL when you're 18. I got mine in Ontario when I turned 18. And the rule is in the United States that you cannot cross state lines. So there's two sides to this story. If you live, if you haul whatever product and you live near a state border or a bunch of state borders and you get your CDL, um, it makes it difficult. It's difficult to rationalize. Like you could drive all the way across your state but like, let's say you live in Iowa and you need to go to Chicago. Well, you can't. You can drive clear across all the way to the other side, but you're not allowed over that state border. It's sort of a funny rule. But what it it's meant to do is to it's supposed to incentivize um, training people and keeping them close to home. But what the Biden administration is trying to do is they're acting at the behest of like the American Trucking Association and all these big carriers who want to expand their driver pool and, you know, just want to throw these young kids off the deep end. Like when I, when I got my CDL when I was 18, I didn't leave Hamilton, Ontario for months. And then I would occasionally go to Toronto or go to London or go to Windsor, maybe go to Montreal. And like after a year or two, I would go further and further away. And I was close. If there was a problem, I could be helped. You know, I, I had the counsel of the people I was working for. It was sort of like a de facto apprenticeship program, but I was working for people that know what they're doing. Um, these mega carriers, to them, it's just bums and seats. They're just trying to get loads moved, and whoever's in that driver's seat, they don't care. So, you know, as long as you've got a CDL and you're legal, just go. And that's not how you do things effectively. That's not how you should be training people. And so the, the, they're they're basically what you said about paying money, you know, they don't want to pay guys more. They don't want to retain drivers who are experienced. They just want more of them and more of them as cheaply as possible. So that's what this uh, regulatory change is all about. But let's say something happened. There was a magic wand was waved and tomorrow everybody got twice what they got yesterday for a mile. There would, there would be, uh, would you imagine there would be people who don't take as many uh, hauls as they normally do, people who have just recently retired? Uh, all of a sudden, people just start, uh, uh, stuff gets moving around, eh? Oh, yeah, no, well, it's just basic economics. The more of you, the more you want of something, the more you pay for it, the more you get. And these people are, because they're owner-operator, because they're, they're kulaks, nobody gives a shit about them. That is the, that is the prime, the, just the, the, the prime uh, uh, thing of all this stuff is that there's no one who cares about these people. If you, if a lot of, any of these things where it's like, oh, well, you know, we work at the port and we're all in the union, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. They, there's people who give a shit about them. Nobody is standing, nobody is standing up for these people and uh, it's going, and, and they're a lot more important than people realize. No, that's right. And a lot of, a lot of the guys in the freedom convoy are by definition, kulaks, a lot of them own their own trucks. They might have a couple of trucks. They might have a small family business. They might have trucks on the farm. A lot of these guys need the trucks to move their own, you know, pro, uh, their own crops and whatnot around. And 
yeah, they're all small business people. There's not that. I mean, there's a few company drivers involved in the protest. Like they got, they're, they're not working because they can't go to the U.S. That's why there's like so many pickup trucks. Like when they quoted all these numbers about trucks in the convoy, like the total number of vehicles is not just all big rigs, right? There was a lot of people in the convoy in their own pickup trucks, you know, pulling a trailer or whatever, RVs. And, and 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 so you had these guys that were all laid off, but like all, all all the people that took the vaccine are probably just still working, and most of them work for big corporate carriers represented by the likes of the CTA, the Canadian Trucking Alliance, who you know were very much on Trudeau's side of this. They poo pooed the protests, and they you know everybody was trying to quote the CTA. Oh, you know this this big industry group says they don't even approve of these protests. Well, the CTA are a lobby group for big corporate truckers. They don't represent the Kulaks. They don't represent drivers. They represent suits that own hundreds, if not thousands of trucks. Yeah, I think every institution is, sorry, good. Yeah, well, we saw the same exact thing with the mandates or like last year in 2020, where, hey, uh, you know, Walmart is whatever is fine with it all these horrible restrictions because a, they know they're not going to really have to suffer from them. B that's just going to put their competitors out of business. They're smaller competitors. Yeah. It's always regulatory capture. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me of another little anecdote. Uh, someone told me, uh, we remember, Merrick, remember uh, there was that, there was a communist guy. I, I, uh, go back and forth with every now and then, um, we were talking about the Kulak question and, um, I, I, I said, yeah, I really like the, the Kulak stuff. And, um, he said, no, the Kulaks, they're, that's not good. You don't want Kulaks. Now, he's a communist. And, and like, this guy, like, this, this, uh, this is, uh, I like talking to this guy because he's, like, um, some kind of, like, urban industrial worker where, like, it actually makes, it actually makes sense. In other words, he's not, like, a, an accountant or something. But either way, I mean, but, uh, you know, I'm not like that. So, uh, and I was like, you know, I like Kulaks. He says, well, you, no, 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 Kulaks are bad. Like, you don't want Kulaks. It's like, you know, in the Russian Civil War, like they took care of the, uh, the you know, the organized armies like really quick. He said it took them un- untold. They took them years and years and years to, to beat the Kulaks because uh, going back to the thing about the Islamic Pope, you know, it's uh, 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 and the other thing that goes with this. And this is what we were talking about earlier with this, uh, with the whole image thing of uh, of truckers uh, is that, OK, like where is the Kulak thing really strong? Well, the Kulak thing is really strong. In the frontier, in places, you know, there's a, a, it is a kind of a cowboy thing. It is kind of a low, low population density thing, which, by the way, that's why I think why a lot of people are very surprised that Canada has the ability to be this base. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, because Canada is a, is a, uh, it's a rough landscape. I, it is, uh, you know, you're, you're finding the, the, the elements itself and it has a lot of these low, Population density. Uh, uh, it's a lot lower it. density in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. The Canadian population density. I tried to look this up once. Um, I, I dabble in geography nerdery occasionally. And I think Canada's in the top 10 of lowest population density countries on earth. Yeah. And I, it, there's some figure you would probably know better than me, Gore, but is it like 90% of the population of Canada lives within like 150 miles of the U S border or something like most? Yeah. Of the yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I think it's like 80% of the population lives within hundred miles of the border. And that's because of the 401 corridor, right? So you have highway 401, which starts at the border crossing um, 
from Windsor and Detroit, Michigan, so over to Windsor, Ontario, and it runs all the way up along the Great Lakes, like Lake Erie and Lake Ontario goes through all these communities. Windsor, London, Kitchener, Cambridge, Waterloo, uh, Toronto, the whole Toronto area, which is like six or seven million people, and then Belleville, Kingston, Cornwall, and then it goes into Quebec and becomes Highway 20, and then you've got Montreal and Trois-Rivières and Quebec City and Riviere de Lou. And it, it just and all of that tracks the U.S. border, and that's where your major population centers are. And then when you go up north, there's nothing. Like I mean, there's literally nothing. It's just bush. You know. Now, Gord, you also you drove through can you drove in Canada for for some years too, right? I'm sorry, uh, Australia for some years, right? Yeah, I um, I took advantage of a working visa program, and I've been to Australia and New Zealand a few times. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I drove logging trucks in New Zealand for a year. And then I uh, I drove triple road trains in the outback in Western Australia for a year and a half. Could you could you describe what a road train is for people who don't know? Because you you explained this to, to me and it's uh, it's incredible. So a road train is basically you take your standard American eighteen wheeler and just imagine that instead of just having the one trailer, you have two or three, and then they have specialized ones that could be four. Um, for a whole, like side dump mining road trains in Northern Australia in the Outback. So yeah, you're hauling three trailers, but with only one truck. So you're getting three wagons moved for the price of one. Um, typically this is only in the Outback. Like you're not driving around Sydney with one of these. Um, all the, in the big cities in the South and East of Australia have what are called uh, road train assembly yards, sometimes hundreds of kilometers outside of town. And then, but all of the like main east west, like from Perth to Sydney, they're running two trailers. From Adelaide up to Darwin, they're running three. And then, like all other parts of the outback, they're mostly running three trailers because there's very, there's little in the way of rail service. So there's no trains. And then there's the shipping, doing coastal shipping doesn't work because the population is so small that like it's too, it's not cost effective to use boats. So the most economically uh, efficient way of moving things but in this huge landmass that's like super sparsely populated is to just use trucks that are like maxed out. You uh, well, you and I, before this all happened on a couple months back, I was telling you, I, I wanted to talk to you sometime on the podcast just about like what having a job that sends you across the landscape and uh, now – if we're talking about like, if somebody's driving uh, a the delivery van in downtown Cleveland, uh, you know that's that's probably a different beast altogether. But like if you're a long haul trucker, especially you're in the outback hauling, you know, uh, four four damn uh, trailers through through like this huge desert, or I can't I imagine through Canada you're traveling through like a lot of desolate open areas too. If you're a long haul trucker, right? Yeah, correct. Like this, you you get a if you have a job that requires you to drive a lot, and especially in places you know places out of the city, it, it's a different experience than sitting behind a desk. Like there's just no other way to describe it. You, no, you, correct because like <laughs> you, you, there's there's a, there's a a psychological effect to knowing that you're the only person around, possibly for dozens or hundreds of miles. Um, you know, and if you're in Northern Canada, like I used to, I ran the ice for four seasons. I used to run back and forth from Yellowknife to Edmonton and there's just nothing. It's just bush. And, uh, you just have to be a bit hardy about stuff. You know, you have to 
understand like understand the conditions like when you're pulling those triple road trains in australia you're not doing 75 miles an hour you're doing 50 and you have to be happy doing 50 because it's 120 degrees outside and the road surface is too hot and the engine's working its hard out to try and tow three of the bastards and your tires are just going to pop and guess what when you're 800 miles north of perth in the middle of nowhere nobody's coming to rescue you. You can't get on the phone and call Firestone or Michelin or whoever and send out their tire guy. Who's changing the tires? You're changing the tires. Do you want to do that when you're out in 120 degree weather? No. So you drive accordingly. Um, same up north in Canada, you know, like you'll get uh, snow and ice build up on the airbags on your suspension. So, you know, once a week or depending on weather conditions, you got to like get underneath your trailer and chip all the crap off around the seats for the airbags. Um, you have to approach things very slowly when you come into town because the roads are super slippery and, you know, your wheels will lock up real easily. So you have to drive a bit slower. And there's just all these things you have to do when you're in uh, remote areas with extreme weather conditions that's not like driving a delivery van for FedEx whatsoever. Uh, you know, it's, it's like when you walk into a restaurant, you know, strung out from the road, and you feel the eyes upon you as you're shaking off the <laughs> You pretend it doesn't bother you. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, it always makes me think of, so, uh, one, like, there are, you know, we've talked about before, um, so CCR, uh, uh, Credence, they're not, uh, they're not born rednecks, but they're adopted rednecks, right? So they're, they're, they're like from like Berkeley or something, but they've, uh, uh, they've enculturated themselves to this. We've talked. We've talked about this. Uh, we were talking about this earlier this week with Joe Rogan, where um, I was explaining to people why uh, Joe Rogan can relate to people that aren't rich. And I was talking about usually has something to do with work. I mean, so like uh, if I told you, uh, you know, this if I told you uh, somebody was a uh, a black guy, you would know what he music listens to. If I said, well, he's been a staff sergeant for fifteen years, well, you would know much more about his personality. You know, uh, and one of the great ones of uh, Rednecks is uh, Carl Malone, NBA player, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, Carl Malone, I think, was invested in a trucking company, wasn't he? Yeah. He's he's uh, he's kind of like a redneck that got really rich in the NBA. The NBA is the NBA pays well because uh, there's not many very tall people. And uh, he did like everything that you would do if you were redneck. He got rich. So he bought a ranch. Started ranching, and he bought a uh, he bought a, a, a eighteen wheeler, and he did some business things with it. But in general, it didn't seem like he was making any money. He just liked so he was running running loads and stuff, and it was just like uh, uh, it, it, it it just seemed to be. He felt like it was good for his soul in the same way that the cattle ranching was. You know, yeah, yeah. 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 the stagecoach, right? You know, with the shotgun sitting upside him, right on the buckboard, right? This is uh, the whole. This is the the backbone of uh, which always comes up. It's become up a lot lately. Is um, what's uh, what's the film? Uh, Smoking the Bandit. Th like the basis of the film is that trucking is cool. Aside from the fact that uh, Burt Reynolds and Jerry Reed are like two of the coolest people in existence, but uh, <laughs> uh, it just is. It just it is cool. Maybe so. Uh, what what it you know. People don't think of things like uh, any kind of machine. Is, a lot of these machines is beautiful. Like, say, uh, people, tanks, they all look the same, but not really. Everyone that's in a tank all, they know that the Tiger tank is the most beautiful tank of all time. What is the most beautiful 18-wheeler of all time? According to me? 
Yes, sir. Oh, uh, I would say an Australian-built T904. Well, how I'll have to look that up. Uh, is, is Kenworth uh, built like in several places and it, some of them are built in, in Australia? Yeah, Kenworth has its own plant in Melbourne uh, built specifically for the uh, Australia and New Zealand uh, industry and their particular specifications. They're much heavier duty. Um, they're a completely different animal. I mean, you know, the hood looks the same and they have the same symbol and the styling is somewhat similar. There you go. Yeah, I think that's. I like that flat bumper. Yeah, I think that's a 908 or a 909. Um, no, notice the extra set of fuel tanks because those guys go that much further, so they carry a lot more fuel. Uh, the air, the raised air intakes, which is like an outback thing to get the air intakes above the dust. If you're following anybody, um, kangaroo bull bar, because um, you drive through ranch country and there's cows wandering all over the road and kangaroos everywhere. Yeah, that's uh, that that's it. That's it right there. So buddy. in Australia, they don't have the cow catcher; they have the kangaroo catcher. Well, it's 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 <laughs> built to withstand. I had a cow one time. Um, I was on my way up to Dampier Caratha one night, and I uh, I was starting to slow down for this little place called Panawanica, and um, I was I was you know I dropped a gear and put the Jake on, and somebody on the radio had told me that they saw a mob of cattle out off in the distance. And then sure enough, they just kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, they were running in the same direction I was traveling. So I didn't really hit them head on, but uh, I did bump a couple of them. And like one of them just shit all over the front of my truck and then kind of limped <laughs> away. <laughs> all right. I, I have some, some technical uh, uh, trucking questions. I've just want to know my whole life. So one of them, uh, I've all, I've heard that it's diff, that uh, there's something about the you know because the, the 18 wheelers balanced to have a trailer that they are uh, they're difficult to handle in some way when they're they, when they're driving without a load. Is that true? Um, so if you're pulling a, a freight trailer, so like a van, we call them vans in the industry, which is basically like a long box trailer with doors on the back. You load everything with a forklift. Um, right. You leave the trailer somewhere and and you just the tr- just the, the, the vehicle. Now, what's that like? That's called bobtailing. And um, I mean, yeah, if it's if it's wet out or you're in snowy conditions, um, you don't have any weight pinning your drives down. Uh, you know, yeah, it can make things a little bit slippery, a little bit more dangerous. All right. There, I've always wondered that. And so another one, when you're when you've spent when you go on the highway, right, you see. Uh, what's obvious, or you'll see them all over the place. You will see what is obvious, a 18 wheelers tire that is blown out, which doesn't seem to be to me like the, um, you know, the, uh, uh, that seems like it might be what, what happened is a blowout happened, uh, just they're, they're guaranteed to happen. And is it scary? Like what, what, what happens when your tire blows out? I've popped a couple tires in the distant past. Um, yeah, it just sort of sounds like a gun going off. And then, yeah, whatever's left over just kind of comes off in bits and pieces. And then, you know, I guess you start out to pull over and walk back and kick it off the road, lest somebody else run it over. And then it gets up in their fenders or rips somebody else's airlines off or somebody with like a low rider or low clearance vehicle. You know, you got to clear that off the road. Um, but, yeah, that'll happen either from overinflation, underinflation, uh, overheating. You'll tend to see that in the southwest a lot because, you know, if you're, if you're going in a hurry across Interstate 10 between Phoenix and Los Angeles and it's 120 degrees outside, the more heat going into those tires, the increase of having a blowout you know, increases exponentially with speed. 
Yeah, if you you know tires obviously made of rubber. If you take a rubber band and you put it out, set it out on a table in, in Nevada, it'll just like shrivel up and die. <laughs> uh, you know, because uh, rubber does not like that. But there's no there's no chance of like so it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're going to lose control of the vehicle or anything. What you're saying? Um, no, it depends. The only time you're really going to lose control of the vehicle, so to speak, is if you blow a steer tire. Um, I've never done that. I've never had that experience. Um, every truck driver I know who has had it, uh, said it was, you know, you know, a diaper changing kind of experience. It's not, it's not, uh, it's a, it's not the right kind of excitement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they say that, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, in war, like, uh, there's none of the, the, the training things. Uh, it just doesn't really work. You have to, you have to really experience it. I, I got a, I got a newbie question too, uh, but because this is mine related to mountains because of where I live. But we, everywhere we have those, uh, you know, truck runoffs where if your brakes go out when you're coming down the mountain, you can drive into the sand pit instead of, uh, you know, crashing into oh, the run, runway lanes. Yeah. I, I how, like, how often is that going to happen? Like somebody's brakes are going to go out. Cause I'll, I'll see like, uh, mm. I'll I'll see tracks in them like they have been they've, they've been used within within like the you know it does happen you can find videos of it and shit. I mean, I, I guess it does happen. I've never I've never seen it myself personally. I've never used one because you know I, I drive correctly. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting that you bring that up because of this recent case in Colorado where uh, a, a young guy, I think he was only twenty three, he was coming down. Uh, this hill in Denver uh, coming into Denver and coming down off the mountains and he lost control of his truck. And I don't know all the particulars of the case. I really should have studied this more. Oh, yeah. Um, but basically he crashed into a bunch of different vehicles, killed four people and the state of Colorado threw the book at this guy. And he, the, the big uproar was, is that, the way the law was in Colorado, they had it like um, it was a conviction stacking and they basically sentenced him to 110 years in prison. Ugh. And there was a big, and there was yeah. a big uproar about this and the governor intervened because of this uproar and like commuted his sentence to 10 years or something. Yeah. yeah like, I, the, I understand. Like, this is one of those situations where like, people were saying like, this is a terrible law and needs to change. Well, I mean, does it does it need to change? Because like the point of the law is to punish people who are like drunk driving and plow into the you know a, a family and kill them, and you're gonna you know, stick them in jail and throw away the key, right? It wasn't meant for it wasn't meant for truck driver like in a situation. It's like this is like this is actually a, the law kind of functioning if the governor stepped in and said, "Hey, that's not the that's not the point of this. Let's let this guy off easy." Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I wish I knew more about that. Believe it or not, I was asked by another podcast to join a round table discussion about this issue. And then literally the next day, the governor commuted the guy's sentence and then the invitation disappeared. <laughs> and I have no idea whatever happened with their idea, but yeah. Uh... What's well, everyone's opinion on the classic maximum overdrive. Um, have you guys seen that movie? Yes. No. Oh man. That's, that's, a, that's a chud classic. So I think it came out in 1985 it's um it starred Emilio Estevez mm -hmm. and the, the 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 sort of the the story with the film is like some asteroid or something comes near Earth and like turns all the electronics crazy 
and like you know soda machines like fire pop cans at people and lawnmowers start running people over and um, vehicles take on lives of their own and um, these people are stuck at this truck stop and all the trucks come alive and like start like driving in circles around the truck stop and then start demanding fuel and it's sort of like a crazy cheesy semi-sci-fi horror movie but the entire soundtrack was done by ACDC Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I watched a video about the about the hill thing. Some of the people can imagine. So uh the at least the load in America is eighty thousand pounds, right? Yeah, that's the standard for a tandem tandem. So a two axle tractor and a two axle trailer, um, the interstate standard is eighty grand. Yeah, and so if you got eighty thousand pounds, you're going down like a fifteen degree bank or so. Uh like mo- like the semi's got good brakes, but it's it's the Jake brake and it works off your engine. So if you're going down this this mountain or this hill and something and you have a problem with your engine, which uh you know piston driven engines, they just sometimes something goes wrong. If something goes wrong, uh the normal brakes are not gonna are not gonna stop it. Uh, if you ever see them try, like they, the brakes will just literally catch fire. And stuff. Yeah, depending on the gradient of a hill and how much weight you've got on, you're supposed to use um, the engine to get you down. Um, there's a really famous pass in Canada and British Columbia called the Kootenay Summit, and from the top. I think it goes into the town of Cranbrook. It's something like 34 kilometers anywhere from like six to 8% the whole way down. And if you're coming down the Kootenay and you have a set of trains, like a super B train, you're 140,000 pounds, not just 80. And you're basically creeping down it in second or third gear with the engine brake on full noise because yeah, very easy to lose it going down a hill like that. Yeah, the maximum overdrive question. Maybe they, like, uh, is the trucker's favorite movie Smokey and the Bandit? Like every trucker, <laughs> I can't speak. <laughs> I can't speak for everybody, but it's certainly uh, uh, part of the canon. Yeah, but I, I, I was when he said maximum overdrive, it made me think of another of another one. It's not nearly as popular a movie, but like it's kind of unique. The, the movie Duel. You guys remember it's early seventies. It stars Chet. It, it like really, it stars this truck. It's like a, a a tanker truck that's trying to kill Chester from gun smoke for no for no reason for just two, like for like ninety minutes. He's just being pursued by the this truck. It's insane trucker. You don't see the trucker. You just see the truck. Like the truck is the character. It's like almost yeah, like Christine. This is going to be a terrible question. You're not allowed to make fun of me too much for this. Did they make uh, a remake of this movie with Paul Walker, like in the 2000s, or am I, or was there just another movie with a similar like plot line? Because I remember like previews for a Paul Walker movie that sounds like this. I mean, mm. no, somebody they probably just ripped it off. Yes, yeah, so probably. So I got. Uh, Message for the young guys out there. So number one, if you're real young, so if you're a parent, you get a kid, you got to teach your kid the trucker salute and have them do the trucker salute. When you are like seven years old, there's nothing more awesome than uh, getting the trucker salute and uh, having a, a, a truck driver blow that horn. Huh? Everyone here did that at one point in your life? Hell yeah. I'd still do it if it yeah, was socially absolutely. acceptable as an adult. <laughs> it's still socially acceptable as an adult. If anyone comes by me and, and pulls that air horn, whether they're 70 or seven, I'll, I'll lay on it for them. 
Hell yeah. Honk, honk, honk. I just looked it up, Fredo. You mean Joyride, right? Maybe. It's possible. It, but but I, I think that was different because, like, at the end, I, I saw this terrible movie. And at the end of it, like, you find out why the trucker wants to kill them, right? Like, it's like, you, you I think you kind of figure it out, don't you? Okay. Like, I never saw the movie. I just remember the preview. Uh, but, but like, it's like, it's like, oh, uh, this is that guy that I did, I did something wrong to. The, the, th- the great thing about Duel, and it's not like a great movie, but it's the early 70s schlock. But the great thing is, <laughs> it's just a fucking, in, I'm sorry, it's just an insane truck. You don't even see. I don't, I don't think you ever even see the driver. It's just like this. Peterbilt wants to kill Chester, and you don't have any idea why. For like for ninety minutes, like to me, like that was the when I think of of tr- like truck movies. Aside from Smokey, obviously, that's what I think of. But I was gonna say uh, also, if you're uh, if you're, we've had young guys ask us this: should should they pick up truck? I would say this. Uh, I think trucking is a better gig than being a pilot at this point. I don't know if people caught it. Uh, being a pilot isn't what it's used to. And I don't know if people have seen it. Like they basically fly themselves. Like um, uh, you can, you can basically twist knobs on, on the, on the dashboard of a, uh, you know, airbrush a three twenty, and it will land itself. Um, most of the things they do are basically uh, everything is, is just all like um, done. Oh, everything. Man. It's all train. All, all their training is done through like backwards by like okay, someone died at this point, so you have to check that. And you have to check that. This is kind of like uh, you know, some guy put a bomb in his shoes uh, twenty years <laughs> ago. Now we all have to take off our shoes. But just be glad you didn't stick it up. Well, his, and, and, you and know here, here's the rub: is they're trying to bring that to trucking, like mm-hmm. what you said about mm-hmm. um, airplanes being like on autopilot, and the pilots don't do as much as they used to. Um, this is this is part of my problem, I guess. Uh, you know, maybe this makes me a ludite, but you know, I bang on about this a lot on Twitter. Is like, you know, automatic transmissions, GPS systems, um, lane control, uh, front uh, collision avoidance systems. They're basically trying to roboticize the trucks, and then on the back end. You know, you have all these uh, health and safety people and HR department demons mm-hmm. that are trying to roboticize us. And we have ELDs in the truck that are, you know, regulating your time and when you can shit and when you have to go to sleep. And, um, you know, we're, we're fast. We're fast becoming pilots in that way if you view pilots that way. Um, and <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of avoiding all that and driving as old of a truck as you can. Because, you know, you, you're supposed to be taking part in this, right? Like a whole book was written about this, this point we're making here. It was called uh, uh, Why We Drive Towards the Philosophy of the Open Road by this philosopher named Matthew Crawford. Ostensibly, it's about driving, but it's about like our interaction with the material world and what that means as a human, right? Like if you're using tools, if you're doing something that has specific meaning and um, a, a, a specific um, like like result for you as a person to have been involved in that and to do it every day. And with the incursion of all of this technology into our lives, it's chipping away at something about being human because you're not doing it. Technology is doing it for you. And this is becoming a major problem in the trucking business from my perspective. Some people don't see it as a problem. 
I call those people bugs, right? So I there's always a cost to these things. There's always a cost to these things. And it and usually the whole point of these kinds of uh regulations and stuff is to move the cost onto you. So uh you know, you gave the example of automatic transmission. Well, you know, automatic transmission is gonna eat up thirty percent of the power instead of fifteen. Uh all the, the these you talk about using an older truck. So like uh if you have a new car, it's got a system called EGR in it that takes like if it detects like one percent more um, you know, uh, uh, exhaust going into the atmosphere, it dumps that exhaust back into the motor, which is, uh, which is horrible. There's nothing free in, there's nothing free in nature. And if these, uh, the other thing you're talking about, the, the health and safety thing, that is, that is probably the best reason not to become a pilot and, and, to, and to drive a truck instead. You know, a pilot can lose their license for almost I mean, all kinds of things. They just like there was a long time they couldn't even they wouldn't even accept LASIK surgery. Uh, you know, you had to you know you had to, to see like an eagle. Uh, they they will just pull your license for the slightest uh, thing, and they've already taken away so much of the 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 money from it. The the truck. Uh, I I think it's it's a it's a better way to go these days. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that like pilots' salaries is a, a, not legacy. Like if you're flying for a seven forty seven for Air Canada or Qantas or something, you know, if you're working with one of these legacy carriers on a big bird, you're probably still doing pretty well. But it's the where you start the sort of minor leagues of being a pilot. You know, flying the little twenty uh, seater. Uh, really doesn't pay very well at all. Like yeah, that, probably half of what a first-year truck driver would make. That they, in the same way with all is with these regulations, they there was never was a day where they said, "Well, all you guys are going to get paid less." Here's things they did. So, uh, if you you know if you drive a uh, uh, if you fly a plane, there's a lot of things you do before you take off on that airstrip. Uh, you have to you have to check all the panels. You have to set your flight path you have to check the weather you're doing all kinds of things guess what you don't get paid a nickel when you're doing any of that you don't get paid anything uh you're not at work they call that being on duty you're you're not you're not working they they you don't get paid those little things it's all these little regulations and shit and those have to be fought at every every at every turn none of these automatic things uh, really are just like a, uh, a, a free uh, a free game. Very, very few technologies actually just uh, increase human output without any kind of um, without any kind of cost. And it's usually the whole point is just to pass the buck on you. I'll stop preaching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like I say, I'm, I, I agree with all of that. My main beef is less about the cost and more about just like undercutting my control of the vehicle you know every every incursion of these technologies is one less decision i'm making it's one less action i'm taking while i'm at work and it makes me more dumb and more bored and and not like my job anymore well very personal we were talking about today so i don't know if you saw so a toyota truck with seventy-five thousand miles that wasn't any kind of limited edition or anything a Toyota truck today sold for eighty thousand dollars, and this was like a, a, a you know a truck from like ninety two. And in general, if you've bought a truck in the last couple of years, you can sell it for profit now. Why? Because uh, there's computer chip problem. Why do, why do cars? Why do trucks have a zillion computer chips in them? It's all these things. Most of it is all these these this bullshit like uh, monitoring and stuff. It's yeah, that's uh, right, hundred percent. 
this this is all crap. Like that's like you know, if you have a like you were talking about your old truck, one there were the reasons why people paying seventy five grand for uh you know a nineteen seventy six Toyota or whatever or or a Chevy is that you can fix that thing until the end of time with hand tools. Uh, if you if you you know how long a capacitor lasts, and you know how many thousands of capacitors are in these new trucks, a capacitor don't last as long long as a, a, a you know a fuel injector does, buddy. That thing's gonna pop in twenty years. You know every every car that's sold in America, and that new car has to have a backup camera in it. It has to. It's they, now. It is now. Yeah. Anytime any kind of like invention is made by like Mercedes or something, they just mandate it for everybody. Where it's supposed to be for like if you're an oil chic or something. Yeah, no, and that's why you can't get like you know a basic car. I I drive a 1998 Toyota Tacoma, and I I was going to ask this. By I, the way, I bought a I bought it in 2005 secondhand, and like I, I did my research on it, and I found one that like had all my specs. You know, manual windows, manual door locks, four wheel drive, five speed uh, manual transmission. Um, you know, 3.4 liter V6, the 5 VZFE motor, which is one of the longer lasting gasoline engines you can get. And I've still got it. It's got 320,000 miles on it. And I'm going to drive it till it's dead or I'm dead, whichever comes first. And you guys are right. They mandate all this garbage. It makes it more expensive. It's harder to get parts. They're harder to work on. And like the for all of the supposed benefits that we're getting from this technology, it's taking away your agency in the operation of the vehicle, in the maintenance of the vehicle. Like you're basically getting cut out of the equation here and that's getting pawned back off on, you know, maybe your local automotive shop or the dealership. But like, you know, you should be able to maintain and fix your own equipment. Um, and that's, that's part of the deal with ownership when you own something. And like, that's part of the deal with being a Kulak, right? Like you yeah. have your little homestead. You have your trucking business, you have your store, you have your butcher shop, you have your whatever. You're putting your heart and soul into this. You're the one making the decisions. You're the one doing the maintenance. You're the one that's running the ship, you know, like you're the captain of your own ship. And every incursion of this technology removes some of that from you. And because the technology is all wired, it enables more surveillance for the government or corporations to find out what you're doing. So like you're you're losing control, they're gaining more influence and surveillance over your lives. It's just a lose-lose situation. And I know Bog Beef that you've been um you've been uh, very worried about the prices of all these older vehicles going through the roof. And I don't see that stopping at all because guys like us, the Chuds and the guys that are older us like Chuds plus senior Chuds whatever, they all know this. <laughs> They all see it coming, and the market for these older vehicles is only going to become more expensive because a lot of people don't want this new shit because it's too expensive, and and they understand what I just said about it, right? Yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't care for Bill Gates, obviously, but um, he uh, he does uh, he's he's had quite a collection of cars over the years. Uh, you know, what he drives now. What's he driving? A Grand Wagoneer. Which is uh, the two the two vehicles that have sort of exploded the most in value because the Grand Wagoneer was basically it was I mean even when it was made the Grand Wagoneer was made like with the fifties in mind it was sort of the last of this uh, Americana thing but I, I love your choice of the the, the the Tacoma because if you, you can uh, like if you want to know what's really good you just see like what people use who 
aren't in the best environment. So what they what they used to drive? All the guys in the worst environments used to drive uh, Land Rover. But I don't, you know, I'm American. I don't know any much about Land Rovers. We've uh, Land Rovers were for sale in America for like three years, whatever. So they're just some kind of like weird cheap thing. But I assume that they did something right because you know guys driving in the the, uh, the outback or in the middle of nowhere in uh, Africa, whatever, had them. What do they have now? They drive Toyota trucks and Toyota Land Cruisers. I don't know if you've seen one of the uh, coolest things is um, uh, the one of the last old style Land, uh, land Cruisers. Uh, they still make it for the Australian market because that's that's just what you got to have. You don't need this new this new shit. You need you need the old school stuff. And let that that last great model, the Land Cruiser, they still sell it because you can guess what you uh, you could be in the middle of freaking nowhere in Australia, and uh, you need you need the the real old school old school. Well, stuff. it needs to be able to last, and like you know. A lot of guys that run ranches, cattle ranches or sheep stations or working out on mine sites that are super remote, you know, it, they can't just like run to the dealership for parts because you might be thousands of kilometers away from the nearest place you can get them. And you have to be able to maintain it yourself or better yet, not maintain it. So they just they build them heavier tougher different specs this is why i was saying those australian built kenworths they're just a different beast down there Does, and they have to be because life and limb is at stake yes yeah correct yeah uh it's just kind of like the old uh you know when when jeeps were uh had uh american gi's lives at stake when they were built by amc uh those models uh they sell for like you know three times what the uh uh the chrysler ones do uh not too much longer i'm passionate about the subject i have a i have a 1972 car i won't say it but um yeah uh i the only i don't i don't love carburetors but there's a little bit of black magic to them that's just my own thing I don't know if you guys want to hit one story just where we've gone on uh, a lot, but that's uh, just to hit the mood. I thought, Merrick, you had a story uh, you wanted to cover, did you? Uh, I I did, but I think we'll save it. But I I wanted to ask a question. I just kind of occurred to me since we've been, since we were subject switched to cars, and I figured Gord would be a good person to pick his brain, and you too, because you're a car guy. So, uh, what is the best? I'll tell you my 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 best car movie. I think it's it's Bullet. I'm just not movie's not about a car, but it's got the the, the car chase with the with the Mustang. It's an iconic movie. Steve McQueen. Like what? Oh, Bob, yeah. What do you think? What your your best car movie? What do you think? Uh, let me let me skip. I guess I got to think about it a little bit. But uh, uh, Gilbert, <laughs> best car movie? Yeah. Oh, I mean Mad Max, bro. <laughs> Man, that was a good answer. <laughs> Fred, you got one? Well, <clears throat> Bullet is a great answer. Um, I deserve mockery for this, but unironically, I'm a huge fan of the original Fast and the Furious. I've oh. never seen any of them. You know, uh, I don't know if people believe this. So at the t- when that, um, I used to have a 94. 94- Supra twin turbo, 25,000 miles, six speed. Uh, these cars sell for like, I don't know how much. They're, they're definitely in six figures now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got it for $15,000. Uh, there was a crack pipe under the passenger seat. 
<laughs> that movie, it, it had, I mean, it was obvious. Of course, it was a great movie. I mean, when you, when you make nine sequels, so if, uh, of course, uh, I don't want to think about uh, the Smoking the Bandit sequels right now, but, um, uh, you know, obviously, that was a great movie. I, I was thinking of, of mine. I, I stopped on Bullet a second because I always want to talk about Bullet a little bit because, uh, you know, uh, the one of the big stories going on about the West uh, is, you know, the problem of the cities and San Francisco is like the, uh, the most extreme version. And yes, Baron von snake pen. Yeah. Vanishing point. Sorry to interrupt. I just saw that come up. Challenger. Uh, yeah. 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 I'll say, okay. So best international car movie is, uh, you know, the road warrior Mad Max two and best American car movies, vanishing point. Yeah. Agreed. I, I got one. I got one you guys don't have. Yeah, Vanishing Point had had the uh, the Challenger in it, and it had um, who's the uh, uh, the Ranger in Lord of the Rings? Uh, yeah, Aragorn. Uh, yeah, uh, the oh, Vigo. Uh, I've never seen Lord of the Rings. What? Oh. Oh, I know. You got it's it. really easy to bust on me regarding movies because someone was just. Well, no, no, you're not a movie guy. I get that, but this exactly. one, I, you would like, you would like Lord of the Rings. You like? I've been told that by more than one person too. But, yeah. uh, talking about bullet. Uh, so, like a lot of the movies about cars, you know, it's got the it's got the fastback and it's got the uh, it's got the charger. The other half of the movie, I mean, well, there's three parts. There's that part. There's the '60s because you know the groovy music and he's a. a He's a cool guy. It's got, it's got the, the whole the vibe to it. The other part is uh, San Francisco looks beautiful in that movie. And, <laughs> you know, it, it it looks really cool. Uh, I, I mean, know. San Francisco looks beautiful even a lot later than that, right? Look at look at like Full House. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. amazing, like what a recent occurrence it is in terms of how it's gone to pot. Do you know but, the story behind Bullet? Well, all right, my well, go ahead. Then I got my movie. It's it's quick. The guy, the Steve McQueen, went to study a, a San Francisco cop to, to like study. You know how they always study for movies. You know the method acting stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you know who the guy he went he went to uh, went to was uh, Dave Tashi, the guy who was the lead detective who went after the Zodiac. Right. Really? I, 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 I I knew that, but I didn't know this until I watched the David Fincher movie. Uh, about the Zodiac, that that, that Dave Tashi guy, you know how Steve McQueen wears his his uh, holster in that movie. It's really it, it, at the time it was not that was not a usual way to do it. Did he have it like uh, Miami Miami Vice style? Yes, and Dave Tashi did that in real life. He was like the first really? cop. Well, not maybe at the first, but like the first popular cop that did that. Yeah, I didn't know that because uh, people now people uh, attribute that to Miami Vice. They call that like the Miami Vice holster now, basically. But uh, yeah, so uh, my movie is Ronan. I was gonna, I was yeah, I was gonna say that. Yeah, I know you love that movie, De Niro. Oh, it's uh, it, it's it's a great it's a great movie. But yep. Uh, let's see. Well, there's a lot of things to show before we get to Gordy Locks. I want to hit a few of our buddies here. So we got uh, let's see. Um, Oran McIntyre in I'm I am seventeen but you should follow Orrin McIntyre. He is a rock star on Twitter. He's really, really good at Twitter. Uh, I he's kind of like Jose. You should also follow Jose, um, Jose Nino. Yes, yeah. Both of those yeah. guys. If, if I, you could make a lot of money, start up a news service and put uh, have Jose pick the stories and have Oran put a zingy headline on it. You would make um, infinite money. Uh, both of those guys are really good at that. They have a knack for news. 
But Elrond's got an article in I'm seventeen seventy six uh, called "Popular Sovereignty Convoy" uh, from a couple days ago. It's really good. It's about it's about it's about the the trucking protest. Malcolm, yeah, he nailed it. Uh, what'd you think of it? I thought it was great. In fact, uh, I was driving home from Ottawa and I stopped at this little uh, service area thingy on the 401 before crossing at the Thousand Islands Bridge. And I literally stopped to go to the bathroom and my uh, I got a thing on my phone and it was uh, the editor of IM1776, Mark Genza, like had gone out of his way to send it to me. He's like, hey man, we wrote about this thing. I see you've been at the protest. What do you think? And I like, I was one of the first people to read it. And he, he nailed it, man. Like, Alron really did. He got right into the nitty-gritty of, like, what's going on, especially with, like, the fact that, like, governments are more or less fake now and don't represent people. And that's why something like the trucker convoy comes along and none of these people know what to do with it because, like, they're so disconnected from what people actually want. Yeah, that was great. Uh, there was also um, uh, Malcolm Shane, Tink Zork, Who's uh, I think I think we're turning into a redneck. Have you heard him? He has been. He used the phrase uh, uh, the other day. Uh, we have an episode with him coming out. We've it was recorded. Uh, I was uh, recording with away team equipment. We had some disconnects. We've got to piece it back together, but that's coming. Um, uh, speaking. Hey, might, might I interject one more time? Speaking of Malcolm, I uh, I, I feel very bad for. Um, having to red pill our Bantu Viking friend on the legitimate existence of Canada. Uh, one of his favorite things to do with me is troll me and say that it doesn't exist. And um, much like the freedom convoy is uh, running over Justin Turdo, it is also destroying the Bantu Vikings fantasy that Canada is not a real place. And I'm not sorry, Malcolm, too bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, interrupting people is good in live format. It's uh, in when you're doing a podcast and you edit it and stuff. It's uh, but in a live setting, interrupt away. It's it's uh, it's good. Silences right. are worse than interruptions by far. Yeah. So uh, so he but he uh, he's where I think we're having an effect on. I've heard him use this phrase um, uh, uh, catbird seat. <laughs> where where did a Swedish guy learn the phrase catbird seat? Uh, I don't know. That was, I mean, I mean, not for Swedish, but that was a real normal term where I grew up. Like, and I didn't. I'm not from the south. It, it's it's definitely a southern phrase. Uh, you know, we'll, um, we'll just say it is, whether it is or not. We 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 call it. We claim it. It well, it it, it is. <laughs> Uh, but he he had a great article, and a lot of it he went into Joe Rogan, which uh, I don't know. If, by the way, if people want a Twitter hack out there, if you want to blow you up on Twitter, just comment upon uh, Joe Rogan. You will get tons of engagement, <laughs> and for good reason. For good reason, he's the he's probably the leading. More people listen to Joe Rogan in terms of time than anything else. But uh, yeah, yeah, Pixie sixty seven's got a good point. We should just start saying like the meme should now be Australia doesn't exist. They should be demoted because of what's happening there, and. Canada should become an uh, an extant country. Speaking of interruptions, Gord, is New Zealand as beautiful as people say it is? It, it is. It is. I, I, I stand New Zealand, although uh, despite the attempts at their current prime minister to turn it into the gulag across the Tasman, as seen in Australia, it is unbelievably gorgeous. Um, the, the, the range of topography you can see, like, in the North Island, you can be in the middle of the island. There's a volcanic plateau 
which is where there's these three volcanoes all in a row, which where they filmed the scene for Mount Doom and Lord of the Rings. Um, the mountain next to Mount Doom is, is also a volcano and has two ski hills on it. And I've snowboarded down that uh, volcano, Mount Ruapehu, and you can literally ride your snowboard down to the bottom of Mount Ruapehu, get in the car, drive an hour and a half, be on the beach and go surfing. I mean, it's, it's, it's that, it's that compact ish. And um, it, it's, it, it's not empty, but like New Zealand also suffers from the same thing. Canada and Australia does like everybody more or less lives around Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. So if you want to like get out and get away from it all, you don't have to go very far and it's super lush because it rains a lot. And um, the South Island is awesome. The Mackenzie Mountain, the, there's like the Southern Alps that run like three quarters of the length of the South Island that you can basically see from everywhere and just make for this like epic scenery. Um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. It's easy to drive around. I mean, the roads are narrow. It's actually, it's actually a technical driver's paradise. So like if you guys are into driving stick, and like getting the most out of your vehicle, New Zealand is the place you want to be because the roads are all super narrow and windy and they hug mountains and go through valleys and canyons and uphill and overdale and tight corners everywhere. It's a, it's really a driver's paradise and it's just astoundingly beautiful. It's the first time I ever drove on the left uh yeah, the yeah, left side of the road was in New Zealand. Um and I kind of lucked out for the reasons you said and that it was, you know, there's a lot of space out there. So it's not like, you know, it's not like getting thrown into driving in, you know, an insane city with people going nuts when you're trying to navigate driving on the other side of the road for the first time, which maybe I found more difficult than I should have. But that when I, when we landed there, just a quick story, I had just like an insane amount of false confidence to the point where I was like, we got in the car and I was like, yeah, I took a lap around the parking lot. I was like, I'm good. I got this. And then I pulled out like, you know, out of the rental car lot at the airport, driving down the highway. First thing that I come up on is like a gigantic traffic circle, which you obviously have to take going around in the, <laughs> other, the other direction that Americans are used to. There's like three big rigs, uh, you know, which they was fine, but were like kind of bearing down on me. So it was like a classic Jeff false confidence situation where I thought I was going to be <laughs> fine and it got a little hairy. And then, uh, you know, after a couple of days, I got pretty used to it. Yeah. This is a thing. Uh, I, you know, I follow these cars and car prices and stuff. So, you know, like uh, we're talking about a Supra, a twin turbo Supra Mark IV would sell like, you know, I don't know, let's say it's 150 grand or whatever. So people, some of these guys would say, yeah, well, I'll just get one out of, out of Japan. And I say, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's a right-hand drive car. I say, oh, well, you know, that's cool. It's Japan. No, you don't want that. You do not want to drive a right-hand drive car in America. It sucks. But um, so oh, so uh, Malcolm, he's got a piece in uh, Unheard. It's called "Why the Experts Are Losing." Uh, do we have time to read a little paragraph out of it? It's pretty good. Sure. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so I'll try to be quick. But this is—I thought this was this, this was good. So uh, if you don't know the background, I don't have time to go into it. But there was a uh, there's uh, Joe Rogan's being canceled right now, <clears throat> and uh, so there was this big open letter. Here's here's where things are starts. This campaign was bolstered by an open letter signed by 270 quote unquote experts concerned by his history of broadcasting and misinformation, particularly regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. Interestingly, this list of signatories was not populated by people actually working in virology or vaccine research. Many of those who signed were nurses or students. Others were general practitioners, 
Two were dentists. One was licensed marriage and family therapist. It's a bizarre, <laughs> it's a bizarre situation. A call to censorship justified by the incapability of non-experts to handle a subject like vaccine research is then inundated with people who by their very same metric should themselves be disqualified from having an opinion. But ultimately, that's, a, that's the point. This was not a list of 270 of experts in the, in the field, rather a list of 270 of people from the expert class. Mm. I thought mm. that was fuego. Fuego. So uh, that's an unheard why the experts are losing. Gord, you have you have a piece out. Yeah, I was um, invited to uh, comment on the um, Freedom Convoy, and uh, mostly it turned into a commentary on the media disinformation campaign in an attempt to smear it, and I felt I needed to defend my people uh, once in going to Ottawa and twice in writing this thing. And um, uh, big, big props to Batya Sunger Argon from uh, Newsweek for having me uh, submit that piece. It went live today, and blew up pretty quick. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I've got another couple of things I'm working on. I don't know when I'm going to get time, but um, I'm working on a piece for American Conservative, which is more about the nuts and bolts of uh, uh, the regulatory. Uh, problems and economic stuff in the trucking business. Hopefully I'll have that done by the end of the week, maybe. And then I'm working on a, another piece for IM1776, which is a bigger picture. Um, uh, it's a narrative I'm trying to construct that I, I've sort of termed the war on truckers. And it goes back to, you know, you mentioned Smokey and the Bandit and there was all these movies, you know, Smokey and the Bandit and uh, Big Trouble in Little China, uh, Dual Convoy. Uh, there was a time when the independent trucker was seen as this, you know, very powerful American archetype. And that's kind of gone. And it's gone for a reason in tandem with a whole bunch of other trends in society. So I, I'm trying to figure out how to weave all this stuff together and make like a coherent case that much of this stuff is related. And the truck driver, not physically, but the idea of the American truck driver is, is, has been uh, murdered, so to speak. It just, it, you know, if you listen to this, just to reiterate, our boy, our, our excuse me, our senior transportation analyst, he's got a, he's got a piece out in Newsweek today. Newsweek, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and uh, I don't want to sign you up for more work, but it's one one thing I've said about this trucking thing is uh, I don't normally, uh, you know, you got to put out the takes. I'm not doing takes this because this this when you have a protest, you need to listen. I mean, if you're if you want to support the protest. Then you you need to uh, put out a, a platform for them to speak for themselves, right? Because they're the they're the processors, right? So if you want to support them, you just uh, help send them money, or you put them give them a microphone. Uh, I don't want to sign you up for more work, but I, if I if I was me and I had a podcast, I would be trying to holler at, at Gord right now. Um, uh, some some people already have. I recorded with Red Star Radio this morning. Um, I did a show with my friend Tommy Sunday night as soon as I got home. I have another invitation to do one next week. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't think all this was going to happen. Like, yes, I've been commenting on this stuff 
infrequently on Twitter and I've been on what's left of all over a couple of times because I just, I, I just saw this like disconnect between the trucking media and um, people in the regular media and how they, they were just missing like the human element and they were missing how like some of the regulatory stuff happening to us was dehumanizing. And, you know, I've been pretty vocal about that and, you know, for lack of a better term, I guess I have a brand on Twitter now. I didn't really do it on purpose. I'm just a shit poster, you know, like I roll up to someone's place. I start start the pump to deliver the propane and I pull my phone out because I have 10 minutes to kill, you know, like. Um, but here I am, this Freedom Convoy thing rolled through and now it's the hottest thing on the planet. And uh, I, I'm one of the guys in a position to comment on it. So here we are. Yeah, well, it, it's very difficult to uh, I mean, it's. Uh, this is, I mean, we, this is one of the reasons why we did this was because, uh, it's very hard to get a real expert like this. And, and especially, uh, you know, you, you also sort of know your way around, uh, the transmission of political ideas, social media, uh, you know, obviously writing articles and stuff. So, uh, you, you're kind of like, uh, uh, you know, whether you've asked to or not, you've, you've, you've been called, uh, the Lord has called you forward, but we've got people here in the comments saying, uh, thank you, Gord. Made a Twitch account just to listen to you tonight. And Lord bless the Gord. Wow, thank you. And um, I I really appreciate it. I really, really am honored to be here. Like, your guys' show is one of my favorites. It's one of the better podcasts around for sure. Um, you know, I, I was introduced to Malcolm through you guys and Fredo and a few of your other guests. Uh, you know, hail Lord Yarvin. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you guys are doing a really good thing here. You know, you do good interviews. You're, you're very curious. I love the format. I love the banter. And um, it, it's, it was absolutely my pleasure to be here. And thanks again. Before, before we go, I just got to say, you know, beyond all the stuff about, you know, this is obviously something you have expertise in. You know, Gord is a hardworking family man. And there's not a, a ton of those on, like, on Twitter in our following, right? They're mostly genuine <laughs> well, idiots like us. So like, that, I, you're, you're someone to look up to, man. We like, we, it was, it was our honor to have you on. Um, typically a lot of middle-aged single men on this podcast and Gord, you're a nice change of pace, including myself. Uh, yeah, Gord, no, thanks. Um, and, and what I'll do is I will, um, I will pass your thanks to my, uh, my suffering wife who's <laughs> been putting up with me working 70, 80 hours a week for the last part of this cold winter and every spare minute I've had when I'm not at work and I'm not sleeping, I've been dedicating to like trying to write stuff and paying attention to this thing happening in Canada the last couple of weeks. So yeah, give my wife some props. <laughs> I've got a, <laughs> I've got a short story of all these lives. So uh, my father uh, worked in transportation as well uh, in uh, on the water. Uh, gone, but the relevant thing here was uh, gone for long periods of time, and so uh, him and my him and my mother are newlyweds at some point, and he's got to go to New Orleans and uh, you know go to Old Rick or something. Uh, he's on his way back. Um, my mo- and uh, uh, you know this was a while ago, so I'm, I don't know if it's a payphone or whatever, but. Um, uh, well, I mean, so whatever, you're gone for like six weeks at a time, right? So six weeks later, uh, he calls my mother and he says, uh, you know, they're newlyweds and everything. He says, I'm not going to be able to make it, which happens all the time. If, if your replacement doesn't come on an old rig, 
you're not leaving the oil rig. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Um, so he calls her and gives her this news, which is, uh, that's, she's like, well, that's that. And that's hard. That's really hard. You know, if people in the military go through this, uh, obviously driving a truck, it's very difficult on the family. The family is, is definitely part of the team. So she gets this phone call. She had made, she had, uh, I don't know if, it was, I can't remember what it was. I think it was spaghetti and meatballs, or whatever, which was his favorite. And, um, so this upset her. She had, uh, so, but he tells her this news, which happens. It, it definitely, I don't know if it happened before, but it would definitely happen again. Uh, so, uh, then he walks in the door. It was a, it was a joke. <laughs> it was a, it was, <laughs> he, wow. wasn't, he wasn't telling Damn. the truth. That is it, a high risk. Well, <laughs> high risk. He, yeah. he, well, he opened. Well, he was eating beanie weenies that night because he opens the door and the spaghetti and meatballs are on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, you, do you have anything? You have anything to show, Gord? Your ghost of Gord, G O R D on Twitter. Yes, correct. Yeah, blow him up. This is. Uh, by, by the way, we talked about. We didn't get into the honors. We, I, I forgot to do that. I meant to introduce and then get honors. How many? How many years have you driven a truck? Uh, I started driving at night after high, uh, after school when I was in high school when I was 17, I got my class A in Ontario when I was 18, which is the equivalent of an American CDL. And I've been on the road ever since and I'm, I'll be 43 next month. So it's basically 25 and change years. Damn. Um, yeah, I did four seasons on the ice in Canada, year hauling logs in New Zealand, a year and a bit doing road trains in Oz. Uh, all across the U.S., all across Canada, uh, did a lot of fuel hauling in Alberta. Um, hauled everything under the sun. A lot of heavy equipment, a lot of low boy work. Hauled a lot of steel. I uh, currently haul propane uh, in a local capacity close to where I live. Um, yeah, so I a fairly varied career, I guess. <laughs> no, thank you. That, well, there you go. Uh, yes, hellbilly elegy. Yes, I've been everywhere, man. Um, hey, the, the useless trivia. Uh, I've been everywhere, man. Was originally written by an artist in Australia, and then it was covered by this guy from Nova Scotia named Hank Snow, who changed the original lyrics of the "I've been everywhere, man" from locations in Australia that the North American audience would have no idea about. And then Johnny Cash covered the Hank Snow version, and here we are with "I've Been Everywhere, Man." Well, we we know we definitely know Hank Snow in the country music business. I mean, he's he's one, he was one of the greats. All right. uh, but but all right, man. Thanks. Uh, does anybody have anything you want to close on? Anything uh, in the show, Fredo? Nothing for me. All right, thanks. Night, everybody. Bye, everybody. Take it easy. Good night. Let's just.